This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories from people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Welcome to Glistening Particles. Today I'm talking with Jonas Ketterly, owner and founder of Firefly Chocolate. I use the term talking loosely because all of this talk of chocolate had my mouth watering most of the show, which might be something I'll have to work on. So how did a guy from California with a master's in mechanical engineering become a craft chocolate maker? You'll find out that plus so much more on this episode. Let's get started. Hello, Eunice, and welcome to the show. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. I am so glad you're here. Now, before we get too deep into all of the intricacies of chocolate, which I can't wait to hear about, um, let us I thought it'd be fun to tell people how we met, because it's kind of a funny story. And we've already... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we've already cleared up before we got on the call that he might not really remember me, which is a little bit disappointing. No offense to you. I mean, you probably meet like thousands of people (laughs) throughout the summer. But um, I had this like fantasy in my head that you remembered me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's okay. But um, so what happened is last summer, I lived in a little town in Northern California called Occidental for about five weeks just for fun. And it was probably the most fun I've had in my life so far, to be honest with you, uh, because that whole area is so incredibly beautiful and Occidental itself is so bohemian. So I felt like I landed in the perfect Jane Lala land and I was fit in right away, which was super fun. So I was at a farmer's market with my son and we came upon a table of chocolate and I learned all about how he became the owner and uh, chocolate maker of Firefly Chocolate that he is. Does that sound about accurate? Yeah. Do you remember what month that was? Um, It would have been in July. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, I'm pretty sure, my second month ever really selling chocolate to the public. Oh, um, cool. I had started making chocolate. Make cho- I had started making chocolate about two years earlier when I encountered it in Oaxaca, Mexico. Um, and was had really just brand new open to commercial kitchen space and was starting to share my chocolate with the public, which was Kind of a scary thing for me (laughs) and also really exciting Right, right. full of a lot of learning curves. Well, you did pretty well from my perspective, you know, if you want the feedback on that. It was so so amazing because, first of all, you know, who doesn't love chocolate? I mean, if people don't, actually, one of my sons doesn't now that I say that out loud, but that's I think that's not the norm. And the packaging was so beautiful. And the word firefly is probably one of my favorite words. So all of it came together. And then. It was really just a surreal moment standing there with my son, my other son, and listening to you tell your story about how you came upon 
making chocolate. And then I went back and I, I looked up your website and I read more about it. And then when I came back again in the fall, I um, found some of your chocolate again. So I was always out searching for it. But I wanted, when I thought about talking with you today, one of the first questions I had after I read that you had, is it a master's in mechanical engineering from Stanford? Is that accurate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, what led you to become an engineer? I want to know that first. That's my first little curiosity. Oh, cool. Great question. <laughs> um, well, I've always loved building things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I grew up building Lego cities and machines and that kind of thing. And um, when I, you know, I actually didn't know what to study when I got to school. Mm-hmm. Um, in high school, I really enjoyed science. You know, I really enjoyed my chemistry class. We had a, a pretty fun teacher who allowed us to, you know, make make little controlled uh-huh. explosions and crystals <laughs> and that kind of things. Like we were having more fun than we should have. And right. when I got to college, chemistry was uh, much more strict, and we got much more dilute solutions, and it just wasn't anywhere near as much fun as I was used to having. Um, and the class was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, <laughs> that makes you know, a huge difference, a right? Shock. It becomes yeah. a lot less fun when it's that hard. Um, so my first year in college, I was actually kind of lost trying to figure out my path. My dad is a, is a physicist. Um, oh. So there was some push to go into the hard sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until I came back for a sophomore college program, which is a kind of a two-week intensive with the professor before the beginning of our sophomore year, mm-hmm. um, that I got to take this amazing course on green buildings um, with a really passionate professor. He's actually an emeritus professor, but he kept coming back because mm-hmm. he loved teaching so much and was really inspiring class after class of students. Um, and that's that's really where an interest that I had throughout high school for energy um, and renewable energy um, met something that I could do in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I pretty much just from that program on decided, you know what, I'm going to do engineering and saw that building things could actually be a useful tool for having a positive impact in the world. Wow, what a nice story, you know, marrying those two interests so easily. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, engineering school had its challenges for me. Like, I always right. excelled in hands-on classes, and the theoretical classes were a lot harder for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been, like, a very, very project-oriented person. Um, and just, you know, loved myself, loved throwing myself into something that I really didn't know how to get to mm-hmm. our desired outcome and kind of let it emerge um, through the process, um, we kind of call it fail, often fail early. Uh-huh. Just the process of like, oh, I don't know how to do this, but I'm just going to try it anyway. Right. <laughs> I'm going to make some ridiculous mistakes along the way, and that's going to teach me things. Where do you where do you think you got that approach from? Like, did someone inspire that in you growing up, or is that just your nature? Um, I I definitely think it's been taught. Okay. Um, yeah, just. Even in school, the mm-hmm. culture was kind of this celebration of learning from failure and, and actively sharing it and not being embarrassed about making mistakes. Wow, you were in the right school. I wish I went to that school. <laughs> we should have yeah, all the schools and, and, you know, like I, that. I found that more in the hands-on classes and the mm-hmm. theoretical classes, for right. example. Right. Um, but 
yeah, so many, so many unique things would emerge out of a failure and help mm-hmm. help us to ask questions that we wouldn't. It was almost became this design challenge of like, wow, how can we fail in the most creative ways possible? <laughs> um, because usually something interesting comes out of it that is is kind of as almost as like a brainstorming tool. Like it's right. helping us look at this at an angle that we didn't see before. Exactly, I love that. I mean, even like this, this conversation today is iteration five of what the podcast would be about, you know, what this effort mm-hmm. would be about, but it's because the first five iterate or four iterations at the end didn't sound great. <laughs> they just sounded really boring. <laughs> so um, it was a good, it was that good kind of failure because they sounded great in my head until we went to, to talk that way. But this this is the one, this conversation, this is the right All one right. To yeah, so, it's that learn by doing process. And, you know, as long as you're not hard on yourself, you know, mm-hmm. for, for making mistakes, like, you just kind of get to laugh at it a bunch. Exactly. Back at it. And so then, that's process. So what did you do? Was uh, What was your first job out of college once you got done? Um, so during college, I spent a lot of time working with a good friend of mine, Mike Lynn, on green buildings, okay. and we um, got to work super closely together. And as as a result of our time together, we actually both got interested in um, not only doing renewable energy and energy efficiency in the United States, mm-hmm. but doing it in emerging economies where um, people are actually paying far more per unit of energy and have far less access to any sort of energy um, and often much dirtier sources of energy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we found ourselves both interested abroad and he managed to raise a bunch of money um, for a company called Phoenix International, uh, which was focused on solar powered phone charging and lighting for really people who didn't have any access to electricity. Um, and really for empowering entrepreneurs to charge other people's phones mm-hmm. in in a rural village. We were working mostly in Uganda and other parts of Sub-Saharan Africa. Oh my gosh. So that I, I pretty much I actually put my master's degree on hold and left to work um, at that company and kind of continued progressing on my degree over the years as I was working there as well. So um, how long were you how long were you there? I was there a total of three years. Okay. Um, and, you know, one of the things, one, one of the reasons why I left that job, um, even as it was really engaging and exciting for me and kind of a dream job coming uh-huh. out of college, um, right. was that I found myself, my day-to-day tasks switched from that kind of early stage product development that we had just talked about where mm-hmm. it's, you know, really creative and fun. Uh, and then getting into the nitty gritty details of managing contract manufacturers in oh. China and, you know, to produce these high-tech circuit boards that went into all of our products and really, you know, learning how to scale a product was a totally mm-hmm. new field for me. And I was, flying to China almost once a month for mm. a year okay uh, and that started wearing out wearing on me right. uh, and in general the culture was that we were working extraordinarily hard on something that we were very passionate about but mm. on a certain level I found it was also wasn't sustainable for myself that's so good that you recognize that because I think some people get so caught up in the end game the end goal I should say the end goal of it that they they won't pull out of it when it's not working anymore. So that's pretty good that you were able to recognize that. Yeah. um, You know, I I think I had the good fortune of 
also having a lively social life outside mm-hmm. of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just see the contrast. You know, I would see what other people were doing. I would see that they had way more time to hang out. <laughs> and, I, you know, I've always seen myself as a multifaceted person. And mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about and dedicated to what I'm working on. But there's also other parts of me that I need to nurture in order to really fully thrive. Um, and I was seeing that I had to compromise on those a lot more. When I began pushing back on the hours and stuff, I really ran into this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like Silicon Valley culture of being at a tech startup with, you know, really good ideas, but right. far too little resources. And as a result, everybody was overworking. Mm-hmm. That's something that I immediately noticed when I was in Occidental. Maybe it's a Northern California thing. Maybe I'm not sure, but the people really understood the balance. They understood that, you know, it's not about working 80 hours a week. It's really about finding that balance of enjoying life and enjoying nature and enjoying people as much as doing the work. I mean, that was that was a really good lesson for me to see that. So it sounds like that is the right place for you then as well. Yeah, totally. So then how did you, so you came back and then did you land immediately in making chocolate or was there something in between? Um, I, I basically, I, I had to finish my job and then was pretty much completely free of those obligations mm-hmm. uh, and left with my girlfriend at the time to travel to Oaxaca, Mexico for a month and a half. Okay. Um, and just, you know, decided to go off on this grand adventure, really hadn't made any plans and First thing that happened when we landed in Oaxaca, Mexico, is we got some crazy stomach flu, got oh, terribly sick, no. <laughs> and you know, the first day that we emerged back out on the Zocolo, we were just eating white rice, and we started talking to this man about these beautiful, naturally dyed tapestries that he was selling, mm-hmm. and he invited us to stay at his town, um, and we didn't have any other plans, so we're like, sure, let's go do a house day, um, nice. and he introduced us to his wife, and we ended up staying in this small town, Tenochtitlan de Valle, for about 10 days, uh-huh. um, and that's uh, where we encountered chocolate making. So what, like, how did you end up choosing that place in Mexico out of the blue to go to? I'm just curious. Well, we were both into chocolate. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're probably eating 70% dark chocolate and Mm -hmm. enjoyed sharing it pretty often. Uh Um, But I, and she had actually already worked with chocolate some more than I had. Mm -hmm. Um, And just kind of had heard, oh, there's good chocolate in Oaxaca, Mexico. Okay, okay. I just all, had to know what beautiful that was arts about. and crafts. Like she, <laughs> she was an artist, so we're just like, sure, let's go there. Um, <laughs> Following the chocolate trail, I love it. Okay, exactly. So then, what happened? What I think I know a little bit of the story. This is what you told me when we met about uh, what happened next when you were there. Yeah, well, so one day. Um, the man's wife introduced us to her mother, Maria, um, and she was showing us around her little compound where she lived, you know, awesome permaculture garden, and showed us some traditional dishes that she prepared. And then she's like, hey, have you guys ever made chocolate before? And she really wasn't waiting for an answer and <laughs> was already on her way to the pantry to get the cacao beans and showed us how to roast them over an open fire, a very delicate process. And then we began handing peeling them um, mm. probably sat for like two hours in their courtyard just hand peeling the beans one by one chatting kind of had a view of their sacred mountain which was Aww, kind of beautiful process the first time I touched 
Yeah. It was the first time I had touched cacao beans, like really realizing, oh my goodness, chocolate's coming from this tree that I've actually never seen before right. here with the beans and it smells amazing and there's uh -huh. this whole technique for processing it that I know nothing about we took it to the stone grinder nearby she gave us directions how to get there um, and then we mixed it with some local honey that we had picked up and it was some of the most unique <laughs> and delicious chocolate that I'd ever tasted in my life um, really incredible. the freshness of it struck me it was just it felt so alive mm -hmm. um, and it was just two ingredients and that at that moment, we, we kind of had this great, you know, <laughs> five kilogram bag of chocolate paste that we lugged with us for the rest of the trip and shared with everybody uh -huh. everywhere we went. Aww. And we're just talking about chocolate the whole rest of the trip. Right. <laughs> so you knew something happened. There was like some transformation happened by the fire as you were like peeling the beans. Something major. Yeah, happened, right? exactly. Oh, so then you came back, right? Yeah, and kind of two things happened simultaneously. I had some time off. I just kind of left my job and wasn't sure about my next steps. So she was leading a summer program in North Carolina, and I was just hang camping in the forest and um, had some time on my hands. So I was started researching chocolate, um, kind of typed chocolate making into Google and mm -hmm. started figuring out where I could get some more cacao beans to experiment with and started kind of put my gave myself a small budget for a project and um, got some small scale chocolate making machines and really the timing was excellent because mm -hmm. just at this point in what you could call the American craft chocolate movement mm -hmm. um, where tools for making chocolate were becoming more accessible um, on a small scale. Okay. So I was able to make some batches of chocolate in my kitchen um, while I was hanging out in North Carolina. And obviously every time there was a lot I learned, my first few batches didn't so turn out at all. So fail often? This is some fail often <laughs> Exactly. Business, I was know? like falling right into that routine. And towards the end of that summer, I actually got offered a new job out of the blue. Um, to work for another company. I, it was a brother of a friend of mine who I used to live with. And uh, he was also had a solar energy company working primarily in India. Uh -huh. And gave me a very open-ended offer. Just, uh, you know, tell me what you want to work on, how many hours a week you want to work, like what you need to get paid. Just, I want, I want you to join our company. Um, and so it's just... It, ended up crafting this job as Imagineer, where my, my role was to develop new products for that company uh, based on my experience. Uh -huh. um, and at the same time, I was taking a permaculture program, um, kind of an immersion where I moved, when I came back to California, we moved out onto a permaculture farm in Marin County um, and kind of got exposed to that whole new world uh -huh. and at the same time was continuing to make batch of chocolate after uh -huh. batch of chocolate so I, it wasn't something that I immediately thought I would do professionally right. like I had gotten this other job and this was just an interest that I was continuing to feed as I went along it's kind of cool though because I mean what I love about this is first of all the perfect storm happened right so you realize you had to leave the job in Africa you um landed in Mexico and learned how to make chocolate and then you had time on your hands like how often does that happen mm -hmm. and then the perfect job comes along to allow you to have the time to keep making more chocolate so it sounds like the universe was really setting something up for you here yeah and something unique happened with that second job um 
you know, I requested to only work 50% time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really began delving into that question of like, wow, if my job is to develop new products, really my job is to be creative. Mm -hmm. And I know that I can't force creativity. It's this kind of magical process of both focused attention and then letting go. And sometimes, you know, my best ideas would come out on a hike, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or when I was just hanging out with friends and, realized that this, the creative process is this kind of push and pull um, and it's a very organic nonlinear process right. um, and I found that the chocolate was actually aiding with that um, you know at that point I, I was making 70% dark chocolate originally and then I switched to 85% dark chocolate which has half as much sugar as a 70% bar mm-hmm. so it's upping the cacao content and you know, cacao is a really potent superfood, and I, I found that it was it, kind of on a certain level bolstering my creativity. It was um, helping me almost relax more and uh-huh. have more unstructured creative moments. Um, kind of one of the reasons why the name Firefly Chocolate emerged is that I really believe cacao is capable of inspiring awe and wonder, just like fireflies do when you see oh, them in, in the like forest that. at night right. in North Carolina. Oh, yeah, here, but, here too. I love fireflies. They're one of my favorite things to see. And wait, wait, and can I just make sure I heard, I might have to rewind, but I'm not going to, but did you just say that really eating chocolate every day will help me be more creative and inspired? Is that really what we're saying here? <laughs> I've found that correlation. Okay. I would say chocolate affects everybody. But I, I, you know, once I started note, realizing that the chocolate was affecting my my brain patterns and my mm-hmm. my kind of my mental my my consciousness, my state of being, um, I really began experimenting with it. I I began taking small doses of the chocolate at different times of day, while I was feeling in different moods, um, in order to study the effects it was having on me and to effectively build a relationship with the chocolate to understand how it was impacting me. Um, and so okay, I did I that. I want to know more about that. Keep going. I want to know more about that. This is fascinating. This is science. Yeah, I did, I did, I I did that over the course of a year <laughs> and, and just started seeing, you know, that it was a really powerful tool, um, both... Um, you know, it helped me overcome grumpiness when I was tired. Uh-huh. <laughs> like my friends wanted me to go out and <laughs> my grumpy nature would just be like, no, I don't want to stay home. But I would eat some chocolate and then I'd perk up and be stoked to go out and, you know, have a really good time. Nice. Um, if I was kind of feeling sad and needed to to process something, eating some chocolate would actually help me feel those things more. Um, it would kind of amplify the emotions and make it easier to cry if I needed to. Mm. So it became kind of a tool for emotional processing, um, which, and, and then also simultaneously like pick me up afterwards and right. kind of make, make things better. So um, I have to ask the obvious question that everybody listening will have. Um, mm-hmm. How much chocolate do you eat a day? you know you know we want to know (laughs) yeah um you know right now i would say my go-to is somewhere between an ounce it's it's probably about an ounce of 100 percent pure chocolate a day and is that like Um, one bar or is that how much is that what does that equate to yeah somewhere between a bar and a little bit or sorry half a bar or a little bit more of a bar it depends on the size okay. of the bars you know there's well, that's different not sizes bad. Bars that's not bad then i thought you were going to say like 10 bars a day so no that's 
That's not bad. No, you know, I, chocolate <laughs> actually naturally limits how much you intake. And um, one of the reasons behind making dark chocolate bars um, is that eating chocolate is actually not unhealthy for you. Um, it's it's this really healthy superfood. The unhealthy part is adding all the sugar to it. Right, um, okay. So that kind of informed, it's like, okay, if I'm going to be eating this every day, let's put as much cacao in there as possible and as little sugar as possible in order for it to still taste good. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I've also began using coconut palm sugar as a sweetener, uh, which is really interesting. It's a low glycemic index sugar, mm-hmm. um, which means it doesn't give the same energy rush as cane sugar does, which is what chocolate's traditionally sweetened with. Um, and that allowed me, I, I, I found that useful primarily because it allowed me to discern the subtle effects that the chocolate was having on my brain. Uh-huh. Um, more than when I just get this like big rush of energy from right from the sugar. sugar. Right. Mm-hmm. Nice. So what what uh, percent chocolate do you typically like to? What's your go to percent? Or is there uh, is there a variation in your products, or are they all the same? They're mostly the same. Okay. It's it's pretty much my go to now is eighty five and okay. increasingly a hundred percent. I think okay. my palate is shifting darker, um, and I'm also getting better at making dark chocolate that. Ah. Is, even taste good without any sugar. Oh, how do you do that? Do you do you still add things to it, or is it just the chocolate? Um, you know, when I eat 100% chocolate, I usually consume it as a drinking chocolate. Okay. Um, so I make these little chips of 100% chocolate that I blend in the in the Vitamix or Nutribullet with hot water. Okay. Um, and that emulsifies the fat in the chocolate, so it makes this, like, frothy thick chocolate beverage and then you know instead of sweet i'll add some spices um and you know sometimes i'll squirt a little honey in there just okay. some throw date in like nothing wrong with sweet but right. I, I found that it's actually quite enjoyable without that as well right. um, um so there's a side effect to this conversation that i didn't really anticipate walking into it it's that like literally for the last five minutes my mouth is watering <laughs> so <laughs> if i sound kind of messed up that's what's going on just so you know <laughs> I, I think chocolate, I mean, chocolate has this place in our minds and culture that's, that began, you know, when we first discovered the process of fermenting chocolate mm-hmm. um, many, many hundreds of years ago and or far, far earlier than that. Um, and when chocolate first became important in Mesoamerican society, um, in many ways, uh, chocolate used to enjoy a much more elevated status in society than it does now. And I I really think that we're just beginning to rediscover um, how amazing of a food chocolate is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at the Latin name, Theobroma cacao, food of the gods, right? It's, right. it's not just a snack food. It's not just something that you pick up on the supermarket aisle right. and, and snack on. I mean, you can but there's also this possibility of relating with it in a profound way that that can be life-changing. Well, and it's a, it's exquisite. I mean, I think it took me a while to move up the ladder of, you know, what I grew up on, which was for sure like milk chocolate. And now I'm, I be, well, I've become a chocolate snob, honestly. So I can't, I don't want to even eat the other kind because if it's not going to be like really great, pure, you know, craftsman chocolate, what's the point? Yeah, <laughs> That's I totally where agree I'm at. That's it's, where I'm at. So it's kind of the classification of candy, which is more about the sugar, um, right. versus chocolate, which to me should be about the cacao right. part. So where were we when I started talking about the effect all this chocolate talk is having? Let's see, we were talking about 
your job, oh, the, how the how the chocolate was enhancing your creativity, and then yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> enhancing creativity and and really consuming chocolate on a regular basis as right. something that is healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for I I would say there isn't like one dosage of chocolate that's right, right. like. You know, when I was first beginning to relate with chocolate regularly, I, I just ate a square or two of a chocolate bar every day. And that was that was all I needed because the chocolate itself was really potent. You know, it was freshly made and um, it I could discern a noticeable effect from just a small amount of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually several years ago when I was in Hawaii for the first time – you know, I, I kind of had the intuition that, whoa, you could eat a whole chocolate bar. What's What would the effects of that be? And I began exploring high dosages of chocolate, you know, even two whole chocolate bars. Um, and this was, again, with a really pure, freshly processed mm-hmm. cacao that I was making um, and really started seeing some of the deeper work that's possible with chocolate, mm. uh, you know, as, as a, as a, plant from the rainforest that on a certain level acts kind of like a drug. There's more than 300 compounds in chocolate that are exquisitely tuned to affect our brain chemistry. Almost all the compounds in chocolate are naturally present in our body. Um, And if you look at the science of it, there's both neuromodulators affecting, you know, dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine, which is a joy molecule, and nandamide, which is a bliss molecule, all these different molecules that affect our state of being. Um, and then chocolate also contains these neuro-reuptake inhibitors, which keep those molecules around for longer. So there's, there's really some profound chemical interaction going on in our brains when we eat a bunch of chocolate. Um, so I just started becoming more aware of that and reading up more on the science. And I think since then, you know, sometimes I'll have a large dosage of chocolate like that, but also over time, I, I just kind of now have like my maintenance dose, you know, say <laughs> like an ounce of chocolate. Um, and it's really, it really helps me, you know, sometimes right. if I'm, it really helps me just like maintain a steadier baseline and, and kind of keep, keep my awareness on you know, how fortunate I am to be alive and to have such good circumstances in my life. You know, when I get stuck, I'm working on some problem and it's not working out. Like there's constantly challenges, right. you know, running right. a small business or interpersonally, like that's just life. Yeah, um, definitely. I feel like the chocolate helps me to, to just keep my focus on the good things and the beautiful things and, and helps me overcome those more effectively. So I think I'm going to have to start ordering like a monthly stock so that I have my <laughs> chocolate pieces for the day. Yeah, each of, the, each of the different flavors I make, because I essentially approach chocolate in this, in this medicinal way, right. each of the, the chocolates has a reason for existing. You know, like the different flavors are, I, I, I go to them, you know, when I'm feeling in different ways or at different times of day, like I make a spicy chai chocolate, which I love on foggy mornings. You know, we get fog uh-huh. from the coast coming in here. Yes. And that one just like boosts my circulation a little bit and helps me warm up. Um, so that's that's like the reason that one exists. Um, Do you market yeah. them that way? I mean, I, I did take a really good look at your website, but now that I think about it, I don't remember if that's how you marketed them. You know, it, it hasn't made it to the homepage yet. Okay. Sometimes it's a little bit in the description of the bars. Okay. And it's when I'm at the farmer's market, I talk about it that right. way. Um, but it's it's something that's kind of emerged over time that I, I've, I've been learning just to share how I use it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when intriguing. People ask me. It's yeah. intriguing. People never, 
I mean, first of all, chocolate gets such a bad rap, you know, the, it does. I mean, yeah, sitting around eating bonbons all day. Well, this, this is a whole different scenario. And so I love the idea that you're bringing it back to what it really is meant for and giving it the credibility that it deserves. I mean, I, I think that's a really big message for people for sure. To, I would, I would say attention. like two other things that I've really enjoyed with chocolate. Um, one is that it's kind of become this daily ritual, mm. you know, where I, yeah, same reason why people drink coffee or drink tea is it's, it's this way of starting the day, um, you know, where I just like sit down intentionally with a chocolate bar and, you know, to really, to really savor a chocolate bar, you want to eat it slowly. You want to, on a certain level, let the story unfold in your mouth. Mm. Um, from when it first begins melting all the way until after it's completely gone in your mouth and you're still tasting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I found that as an opportunity to just think of something that I'm grateful for um, as I'm eating the chocolate and found that it's, it's kind of a, a unique opportunity to, to bring some gratitude into my life. Oh, that's, uh, that's beautiful. I mean, I'm really slowing it down and enjoying it. Yeah. And, and, and similarly, you know, to think about like, okay, what's my intention for today? Like what's, what's the one thing that I really want to get done or what's kind of a focus for today. And then I eat the chocolate and, you know, I, that remembering that moment helps me stick true to that as all the other distractions come in. Right. So, so, so do you, um, so now you've been making chocolate for, you said about two years, what, like at what point did you decide that this is my purpose? This is what I'm going to do. This is my passion that I'm going to follow. Like, what was the turning point for that? I mean, are you still doing the job, the other job that you were no, doing? No, okay. I stopped doing that just about a year ago. Okay. Um, I kind of did this test where I I realized that I was had too much on my plate and decided, okay, first priority is taking good care of myself and making sure that I'm thriving in all ways. Second priority is tending to this this chocolate that I've started making. And third priority is doing all the tasks that I have to do for this job. And I never got around to that third priority mm-hmm. uh, and realized, wow, I actually have a job, which is to make chocolate. Mm. Um, and it doesn't make sense for me to do two jobs. Like, I love that other job, but... I just can't be superhuman. I know my own limitations. <laughs> Even with chocolate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that that kind of was just a point of reckoning and needing to be honest with myself um, and honest with my coworkers and decide it's like, okay, this other thing has come into my life in such a significant way that really I feel most energized working on that more so than this this other job that I used to have. Um, so it's, it's really this following my heart, um, and, and, and choosing something that was making me come most alive in that moment. Do you think this will be what you do for the long haul or do you think it's a, um, a stepping stone? I have no idea. Um, but I imagine chocolate will be involved. Um, (laughs) you know, we're, we're just at the beginning of this really transformation in how we as a culture relate to chocolate. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm finding that there's there's so much to do and there's so much that I'm learning mm-hmm. that it feels like a lifetime of chocolate making could well be in the cards. Oh. Um, and beyond, you know, making delicious craft chocolate, I've always been fascinated by chocolate from the social perspective and um, seen it kind of as a social currency, you know, because people are excited and intrigued by chocolate, mm-hmm. um, seeing it as a way of engaging people into um, you know, looking at what makes life meaningful and how can we have a healthier relationship with all living systems on the planet and kind of how, how can we come into a more sustainable relationship mm-hmm. both um, in the world around us but also just as importantly within ourselves and with the, with the thoughts that we have, with the daily patterns that we mm-hmm. have in our lives. And, you know, again, chocolate's a great tool for aiding us in that. And so I, I think there's a lot of potential in that area of kind of seeing, kind of see it as like chocolate with a social mission. Um, you know, and one of, yeah, it just one, popped in my head. That, oh, go ahead. Keep going. I was going to say one of the things really informing that is that um, many, many years ago, um, before, even before I took my first job while I was in college, I lost my mom to suicide. Oh my gosh. Um, and that was totally unexpected and something that I had no context for at the time. I really didn't have a place in my understanding, even for death, you know, as a right. natural part of the human life cycle and ways of properly grieving death. And so that that kind of made me look at began helped me look at society differently and really made me look at how how we inspire hope in individuals and how we um, do or do not. Um, you know, help people overcome serious obstacles in their life um, mm-hmm. and create community to, to help them move through that and that kind of thing. You know, that's quite, I mean, that adds to the story of who you are. But the thing that I knew from the moment I met you is you have such a depth of character. You know, who you are is not just the sur- surface person. There's so much depth to you. And I'm, I'm so glad you're here talking about these things. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and this is probably taking a really right turn here, but when you were talking about, you know, the like society um, embracing chocolate and all the things that it can do for them and how it can be part of, I guess, so- the social environment, the, the, it popped in my head, a choc- we, we should have a chocolate bar, like a bar for chocolate where people go like they do for coffee or like they do for, you know, alcohol, but it would be a chocolate bar. And like, wouldn't that be a great name for the actual place? Yeah, I mean, it would. <laughs> Does that exist? Because now we have an idea. Something like that would would totally take <laughs> off. I, I feel like I've seen a few places uh-huh. where where that might ex- you know kind of inklings of it exist. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to open it one for a long time. Right, there <laughs> and, you go, and now you have a clever name if you choose to use it. So. <laughs> yeah, and and you know the, the the result of it is like you know when I go out, I I actually go I eat chocolate. And I share chocolate with my friends and it, it puts us into this really sweet space mm-hmm. where we feel connected with each other. We feel happy and then we have a really fun time. Mm. Um, so oftentimes I, I, you know, I'll forgo going to an actual bar right. um, because we have this kind of cool superfood from the jungle <laughs> that we get to do a little ritual with. From the that, jungle. That makes everything yeah. better. If you can say it's from the jungle, it's like exponentially <laughs> better right there. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, you know, one of the funny full circle things in my life is that the first thing I ever got passionate about was the rainforest or the jungle. Um, really? In first grade, we had a teacher who traveled to Guatemala every year. And 
told us all these magnificent stories uh-huh. of the different plants and the animals in the in the jungle um and so it's it's kind of this beautiful full circle to be working with you know cacao which is a product of the jungle uh, so many years later in my life i think that is one of the fun the, that's one of the most fascinating things as we move through life is being able to go back and watch the breadcrumb trails you know like go oh there it was that was there and then that was there and then that was there and that's how I got here you know to follow it back it's hard to see it sometimes at the time how how impactful yeah. those things are but to see them later that's so cool that you remember that sometimes I yeah, don't, yeah sometimes those things slip by but that is such a cool start you know mm-hmm. so, so and you know one of the one of the like mm-hmm. things that I think about when I walk in the jungle is I'm, I'm just amazed by the abundance of life mm-hmm. and just how you know both how much death and how much life is constantly occurring in the jungle it's just like teeming with biodiversity um, and I really see that as a model for human systems it's like how can we create that same thriving of our life just um, you know through our human society like how what if that was a goal of our human society was to create thriving of life for ourselves, for our friends, for our whole country, our towns, right. our cities. Um, and I feel like one of the reasons why chocolate becomes is becoming popular is because it, it on a subtle level, it's carrying that message as a jungle plant, mm. um, and helping us find creative ways to do that. You know, and I think I, that I, that's such a beautiful analogy to it. And I think that that is kind of what we're trying to what I'm trying to show here today with you is that when we really embrace the things we're passionate about we become that thriving element within where you know wherever we're living wherever we're wherever we're planted you know what I mean and when you probably when you look in the rainforest there are things that are thriving and yes there are things that are dying but there's not a huge population of things that are in between this a stagnant state everything right. is, everything is moving through states and and that's what um, happens when you follow your passion and what lights you up, like everything you're, you know, but both yourself as an individual and everything around you begins to mi- mirror that state. Don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes for a long time, I think when I was in school was this Howard Terman quote, which says, don't do what you think you need to do to save the world. Do what makes you come most alive because that's what we need more of. Like the world needs more alive people. You know, I'm so glad their, you said that. I'm so glad yeah. you said that. I read it on your on your um, website earlier and I was going to refer back to it. So I'm so glad you did because I didn't get back to it. And that is so true because once you become alive and like really follow those things, everybody wants more of that. And they then they it lights them up and then they'll do it too. And then the next person. So it's this huge ripple effect. I mean, you probably uh-huh. find that in your life as people as people have seen you emerge into what you're doing it's i mean it sounds like you carried a lot of passion through everything that you've done but especially right now in this that it's affecting all the people in your life as well in a positive way not just because they get good chocolate all the time <laughs> <laughs> totally i mean i'm i'm finding just the the quality of life to be improving month mm-hmm. by month and year by year mm-hmm. um through doing what i'm passionate about and that's not to say it isn't full of more challenges than i ever imagined that would encounter <laughs> you know it's it's a tremendous growth process mm-hmm. but hey that's kind of interesting and you know I keep bringing a willingness to encounter those challenges mm-hmm. that it's, it's actually, I, I can't imagine it any other way. 
Well, if it didn't have that, you'd get bored, don't you think? Exactly. Totally. Right. Yeah. So you have to have, I mean, that's part of, like, that's part of the fun. That's part of the the adventure is like, what's going to go wrong now? So I can like, just go figure that one out. So mm -hmm. one of the things I think you mentioned, and I don't think we got to it on the call, but when I, when I met you last summer was how your engineering um, skills kind of helped you design your studio, your chocolate studio, or some of the mechanics of that. Totally. Um, yeah, we want to talk about that a little bit because I thought that was a pretty cool story. Yeah, I'm tremendously grateful to have that engineering background for making chocolate. I mean, taking a raw agricultural commodity like the cacao bean and transforming it into a shiny, delicious chocolate bar uh, is is quite a task. Um, you know, that's called the bean to bar process, and there's easily more than ten steps along the way. Um, all of those, like, and slight changes in any of those steps can have a huge impact on the outcome. Um, and if you're not really diligent with controlling those processes, um, you might not have any idea of what changed. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, from the beginning, I've had to design some of my own machines because, you know, it was kind of the beginning of the craft chocolate movement. So machines for some steps were available, but for others, people just posted plans. They're you know, like, hey, I tried this, and this one <laughs> worked out. Nice. So I would, I would kind of read up a bunch and then uh -huh. combine the best ideas and try to build my own machines. Um, especially for removing the shell of the cacao bean. Like we were hand peeling those beans, but mm -hmm. it's totally impractical to hand peel beans on a larger scale of uh -huh. output. Um, and so began designing machines for that. And I've still been doing that um, up to this day in my chocolate space. Like some chocolate machines I've purchased and other ones I've largely built and designed myself. And almost all the chocolate machines I've fully taken apart and done some maintenance or modification <laughs> on. So it's, it's definitely contributed to kind of a more easeful chocolate making process. Um, you know, my big growth edge right now is learning how to get the chocolate out there more. I have very little background in sales and marketing and that kind of thing. And that's a, a whole new area for me, which I'm, I'm just starting to embrace. I'm like, cool, okay, how can I apply the engineering process mm -hmm. to learn this um, and, and really share what I love and get it out there more? Like, how, how prepared are you for that sort of, like, what, like, are you prepared from a manufacturing standpoint to jump up to larger scale? Yeah, that, that's actually been one of the great things is that we have a pretty high throughput capacity in our space. Of, okay. I've always imagined this chocolate company as something that's going to scale um, to reach a lot of people um, because I think there's a demand for high quality dark chocolate with ethically sourced ingredients mm -hmm. and that's healthy. Um, and because it also meets that social mission, mm -hmm. you know, of, of, of kind of sharing all that we talked about through chocolate. Because I would love to see you selling them um, locally here. So um, I will have to go awesome. talk to our little uh, co-op store and see if they'll talk with you. And I think hopefully through the podcast, you'll get some more buyers and, and uh, people across the country. In fact, uh, one of our other this is the okay. So this is the coolest hookup that I will probably have ever done because I like to connect people. But um, one mm -hmm. of the people I interviewed earlier or had a conversation with um, Jason Goldberg uh, when I asked him this question that I'm about to ask you, which is, "What's something you're curious about that's not in your normal area of operation?" 
he would like to learn about making chocolate. So I want to get you two together. He can come out to where you are and learn about how to make chocolate. So maybe he'll be helping you out on the East Coast, getting the chocolate to the stores there. Wow, that'd be a total blast. Wouldn't that be so fun? I, I, I love teaching and sharing the chocolate making process. So yeah, yeah. that'd be that hookup's gonna happen, and it'll be best if I'm there too. So if we could just work it all out to happen like later, <laughs> later in the year when I'm out there, that would be perfect. Actually, nice. I got to get working on that. So okay, so now my I have one uh, last specific question I wanted to ask. It's sort of my favorite one to end with, which is, um, you know how. In life, we get focused on we focus on the things that we are passionate about, and that we and we learn those things really well. But then sometimes, like something taps on us that calls our attention and our curiosity, and we want to learn something kind of outside of our normal realm. Like for me right now, and I say this with all sincerity, I really want to learn more about making chocolate. I watched all the videos on your website, and I'm I'm like I need to go there. That's what I need to do. <laughs> I need to see how that works. So for me right now, that's one of the things. Every um every inter or every conversation I have, I talk about a different one. So this is super unique, and it just happens to be that. But is there something that you're kind of curious about right now that you're like starting to you know you start to Google about it or hear about it or talk about it? That's something new for you. Yeah. Um. You know, right now I'm. Um... I'm tremendously curious about using my voice more and and kind of oh. musically singing songs. Um, I have a lot of musician friends, and I keep thinking to myself, like, is it a coincidence that I have so many musical friends? <laughs> you know, is, is there something that I'm really attracted to here? Oh. Um, so it's it's a tremendous edge for me. You know, it's it's, it's like. I, I've gotten more comfortable over the years singing in groups where, like, mm -hmm. nobody can really hear me. <laughs> uh, but I have yet to, like, compose any of my own songs or, mm -hmm. or even, like, sit down and learn some songs. Um, but I'm a voracious consumer of music, and it's it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of curiously watching and, and wondering when I'll do something about it. Oh, I can't wait to see when that happens because I bet it will. <laughs> I, I mean... Based on your life pattern, whatever you put your energy into is beautifully successful. So I think that it will be the same. Do you, do you play any instruments? Yeah, I grew up playing clarinet, um, and now I play the flute sometimes. Nice. It's hard to sing, though, and play those, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And and one of the things about both of those instruments is, you know, you only play one note at a time. Uh -huh. uh, and I recently got myself a ukulele because I wanted oh, to learn so how to fun. play chords and, right. you know, get a better understanding of chords as an improvisational tool. Uh -huh. You know, that's kind of the, the ongoing underlying structure of music. Um, so anyways, there's, there's a lot for me to learn <laughs> Ukuleles are just happy. They're just happy. So you cannot have one and not be happy. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Oh. Just like you can't have a bar of chocolate. Oh, exactly. In a way, it'll positively uplift you. I'm seriously going to have to go to the store and have a bar of chocolate. And like you, people probably don't know. Well, people for sure don't know this, but although the people I live with know it because they're a little tired of it. I've been doing the whole 30 programs and I'm, I did a whole 60. So I'm actually on like day 50, 50 something of no sugar and no oh, nice. chocolate and no dairy. Like all these things are cut out. So I don't know. Can I make it 10 more days without chocolate at this point? It's really hard to say. 
you might have just broken it for me. <laughs> that or I'll have to send you some 100% chocolate because Ooh. you can't have sugar without chocolate or chocolate without sugar. That oh. tastes really good. Oh, oh, do that. Do that. <laughs> can you overnight it? <laughs> I can get it to most places in two days. We have to in the summertime. Otherwise, it'll end up okay. a mold puddle. <laughs> can, I buy, can I buy it on your website? Because I'm going to have to go get some of that. I need, I, like, literally my mouth has been watering for a half an hour. It's so bad. Yeah, you can. There's okay. both a 100% okay. bar on the website, or if you go to the drinking chocolate tab, um, it takes you to another website okay. called Ceremonial Cacao, which is all where we have different bulk chocolates, which are specifically for drinking chocolate. It's kind of an interesting read. And I will kinda... check that out. And I have a Vitamix, so I can make the emulsified. Yes. Oh, you're going to have such good chocolate soup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like seriously happening. I'm not even kidding. So I'm doing that right when we're done. Oh, <laughs> all right. So we're near the end here. I just want to make sure we've talked enough about your company so people can find you. So it's fireflychocolate.com, right? That's right. And this will all be in the show notes if you guys want to go out and look at it. But I would really encourage you. It's it's really one of the most beautiful websites. You have a great designer. It's just beautiful. You feel like at moments you're in the middle of the chocolate making process and other moments like you're standing on the rainforest uh, floor. So it's so beautiful. So well done. Um, and I hope if you're out in the Northern California area, you look him up and go check out some of the farmer's markets in Sebastopol and Occidental. And where else do you go? Santa Rosa or? You know, right now it's just been those few farmer's markets okay. that I've participated in. Um, easiest place to find me is in the chocolate studio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that number on the website goes straight to me. So okay. just give me a call. Ask me any question you have about chocolate. And if you're in the area, I'd be happy to show you around. <gasps> Oh, an open invitation for tours. Be prepared to be flooded because uh, <laughs> everybody wants to see chocolate being made. I really appreciate you taking a chance on me, the stranger who emailed you out of nowhere and said, remember me, and was, was asking you to be on a podcast. So thank you for coming and joining me today. It's been so incredibly fun. Of course, Dan. It was really fun chatting, getting we, to share about what I do. Well, I love it, and I will definitely be looking you up in the uh, in the fall. I'll be out there probably later in September, so I'll be expecting a tour. <laughs> awesome. We'll have okay. to do a part two podcast from, from <gasps> yeah. the floor. Of the we job will. Oh, we can because I'm getting <laughs> actually I'm going to do podcasts when I'm out there. I'm going to do live podcasts, so we will definitely do a part two. Awesome. Maybe maybe you'll be singing a song for us by then, right? We'll be singing songs and we'll be just like running around the chocolate factory like kids, just like indulging in all the magical delights. Okay, I can't wait. Oh my gosh, this is going to be awesome. All right, well, thank you. Take care and I will we'll see you down. soon. Okay. All right, bye. Okay, bye. Seriously, though, I had no idea going into the call with Jonas just how much I learned about cacao and how it can be part of the formula of living a highly creative life. What I love the most about our conversation is the way he moved through changes and decisions in his life with both intention and ease. I look forward to meeting him again and enjoying another enlightened conversation with him from his studio while sampling chocolate. <laughs>